Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. This time around, we're jumping into the Wayback Machine to 1983, that halcyon time when Return of the Jedi ruled the box office, MASH said goodbye to one of the largest television audiences in history, breakdancing and swatch watches were still a thing, and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood aired a five-episode arc about nuclear war to the children of America that has never been aired and rerun since. You know, the good old days! Hey, they can't all be unicorns and bourbon, folks. Which is where we get the two records that we'll be talking about in this episode 90, album one-on-one, Trio Synchronicity. I am your Uncle Todd, and with me, as always, is the man who is able to leap small park benches in a single bound, but he has to have an leave and lie down for about an hour afterwards. He has been my partner in idiocy for over two decades and is training to watch the Beijing Olympics from his couch. I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about yourself, sir? I'm doing well. I have the bottle of a leave right here. All... You're not leaving any benches, though. You're just sitting in a chair. I know, but you never know. Slight, you know, move this way or that way, and, you know, the inflammation can can hurt. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. You act like you've been, like, in special forces or something. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I have been having a little bit of issues with my right shoulder, and, and it is inflammation-oriented, so... Okay, you know what? Out of respect for you, I will refrain from making any type of joke that I would have made about 20 years ago. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Since you we know, are both of, you know, an, an advanced age and are both falling apart physically in the process. Hey, 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 speak for yourself. I, I'm, I'm doing pretty well these days. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling all right. good. All right. Until I move the wrong way and then... <laughs> It's oh, all, okay. It all goes to hell. Let me tell Let me you. Me yeah, I'm. I, I, where's my back to tank? That's what yeah. I need. <laughs> yeah, where's my back to tank? Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Well, we do. Uh, we do have a couple of albums that we're going to be talking about this week. However, mm-hmm. before that, we need to get to a little something that we call the Week in Geek. However. An exciting time. We have another sponsor yet again this week. Ah. This episode's Week in Geek is sponsored by Homemade Chili. I made chili today for the second week in a row, which might raise the question from the congregation of, why would you make chili two weeks in a row, Uncle Todd? To which I respond with my own question of, who hurt you in order to have this level of negativity and total repulsion to pleasure in your life? Or or the other question, which is, you know, why is there a cloud hovering over Maine? (laughs) Fair enough. Sorry, I had to throw that in. (laughs) But back to the sponsorship here. Not to go all Ron Swanson here, but there's not much to say. Homemade chili. It's delicious. Put it in your mouth hole and rejoice that you're breathing and have taste buds. Once again, this this episode's Week in Geek is sponsored by Homemade Chili. Put it in your mouth hole and shut up. (laughs) That's quite an ending. (laughs) The Week in Geek. (laughs) 
Well, thank you, sir, for that introduction. I'm not quite sure where, what to do with myself now. <laughs> and how's that different than any other episode? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't figured it out. We're on episode 90 of this. We're coming up on triple digits here, sir, and I'm still just amazed. I I'm know. amazed that we haven't been canceled. I don't know who we get canceled by, but I'm still amazed that it hasn't happened. Oh, my goodness. Probably by our sponsors. But anyways, uh, yes, True. sir. So. We are, uh, you know, transitioning as uh, we have been known to do, uh, given changes in season and so forth. We we are we've walked away from from the football, and now we are moving into the Star Wars trivia. Oh and, God, uh, you're moving this up to the front of Week and Geek, really? Like that's right. I, 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 I try to get all contests out of the way uh, as the first item, so uh, you know we leave enough time. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to apologize for this yet again. Just another <laughs> segment that I know none of you give a squat about. I really do. Oh, I sincerely do. apologize. I oh, sincerely <laughs> apologize. <laughs> so after uh, our last episode, we left things uh, after round two. Uh, overall score, man, they called him seven. Uncle Todd four. Uh, we're going to enter into round three. Five questions. And uh, as I have explained to Uncle Todd in the pre-pre-production meeting, I, f- I feel the last couple were a little, uh, you know, slow moving because I had to flip through the book constantly to find the answer. Gee, you I, think? Well, I was trying to be fair about this and not have You know seen what? You're moving, you move about as quick on these questions as a bantha does walking through the desert, which I that is Thank my you. one complaint about Book of Boba Fett is why does anybody ride one of these things? You can walk quicker. And it's not like... <laughs> It's not like you're really taking that much off. You're fully exposed in the sun. Uh-huh. And you're just like plodding. Well, less energy expelled when you're just sitting on top, I suppose. I don't know. You still got to hold yourself onto that thing. Uh-huh. And you got to feed the thing. All right. Are you ready, sir? I guess. Why not? All right. Here we go. Question number one. Who was Red 8 during the Battle of Yavin? Who was Red 8 during the Battle of Yavin? A. Elek Ru. B. Jack Porkins. C. Bren Quirsi. Or D. Davish Crail. <laughs> the bonus question is, does Uncle Todd know any of these names? <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> I really do. I'm going to go with Porkins. Okay, so it's funny you chose Porkins because I did as well. Uh, and for those who uh, who are fans of the movie, you will remember the name Porkins because it is uh, said during the movie. Uh, it's like one of the only ones. And, like I don't remember. Well, I never heard any of those other names before. And and in an unfortunate uh, you know casting of sorts, uh, Mister Porkins, uh, as he was flying his ship, was a, a rather ma- a man of rather large carriage. So. Oh, they kind of, a rather large carriage. That's it. They basically had to grease the X-wing cockpit to get him in and out. Okay, let's just put it that way. The 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 helmet that they had on him did him no favors either. Like they only had one helmet for everybody, and one size helmet does not fit all. That was funny. Dude all had right. jowls like a bulldog, and he's <laughs> just like shove that helmet on and force him into this thing, and you can just see him just like. This is what I've done with my career, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So Uncle Todd and the man they called him both chose letter B, Jack Porkins. Uh, that is incorrect. The correct answer is Bren Quercy. So I don't know how we're supposed to know this unless it's from some sort of you know book uh, description. Uh, but I don't remember the name Bren Quercy uttered during a new hope. So. No, pretty sure that one would have stood out. You're supposed yeah. to read his name tag or something. You're supposed to be able to be able to read that like that fake you know, imperial font or whatever, and you're supposed to be able to decipher that and know. So I guess. I guess. Mm. All right. So neither of us get that one. So the overall score stays the same. Number oh, wow. two. You, you, you threw the first question to kind of make this seem legit. Way to go. Oh, will you stop? All right. This is on the up and up as always. Uh, uh-huh. Number two. On what planet was you gotta Owen... got to love someone, someone from Chicago telling me that anything is on the up and up. Vote early, <laughs> vote often. <laughs> you don't even need a pulse. All right. On what planet was Owen Lars born? A. Uh, and wait, whoa, the... whoa, 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 whoa. Who the hell's Owen Lars? Is that you Uncle Owen? You don't know Owen? who Owen Lars is? Uncle Owen? You know what? I'm, that's what I just asked. Is it Uncle Owen? I'm guessing there's one more, one, more than one person in the galaxy named Owen. I'm taking a know. shot in the dark there. I don't know. Guy named Porkins. <laughs> and there's only one of them. Yes, he's from the Tatooine Porkinses. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to the Alderanian Porkins. Yes. They they have a they they raise sand pigs. That's that's. Oh, my gosh. They're feisty little creatures, but, you know. (laughs) Here are your choices. You don't see them that often. A, the planet Ator, spelled A-T-O-R. Oh, my gosh. Really? B, Dantooine. C, Naboo. Or D, Tatooine. Now, the thing is, like, I know he's on Tatooine. Does that mean he's from there? Because, I mean, well, then again, I mean, who really goes to Tatooine and decides, well, Bulba does, uh, <laughs> decides to set up shop there? That's kind I of a foolish question. on the sons of Tatooine. <laughs> Thank you, Tamora. I appreciate that. Uh, let's go with Tatooine, since that's the only one that, I mean, sounds reasonable. Okay, so I also went with Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be freaking kidding me. No, with this, right? I did. I had the same reasoning. Um, unfortunately, the answer is A, Ator, which I've never oh. heard before. You know what? You can go shove it up your Ator. That's what, it, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Blow it out your Ator. <laughs> no, not you, Patrick. <laughs> just, just calm down, all right? Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Um, so we are both 0-2 at this point in round three of Star Wars Red 5. How, uh, how do you pick these questions? Do you literally just like f- flip to the book and go, this one? So I mean, I, that's no, totally I, valid. I'm just I, I'm curious. Well, actually, yes. Yeah. So what I do is I, I am trying to be somewhat random about this. So I kind of jump around. Uh, the, the book progresses, I believe, from uh, episode one through episode six. It does not include seven through nine. Um, so I try to spread out the questions across uh, the saga as opposed to just ask, you know, one particular movie or trilogy. Uh, so you so you jump around, jump around, jump, jump, jump up, jump, jump, jump. You know, it's jump up, jump up, get down, isn't it? Jump, 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 everybody jump. Yes. OK. You got your clothes on backwards there, too? Uh, no, I'm uh, no, I'm, I'm good. It's uh, tragic. No, number three. <clears throat> Who said you were right about one thing, Master? The negotiations were short. 
Who said that? A, Anakin Skywalker, B, Qui-Gon Jinn, C, Obi-Wan Kenobi, or D, Yoda? Uh, that'd be Obi-Wan Kenobi. All right. That is also what I guessed, and it <laughs> oh is gosh, the correct you. answer. I, of course you picked it. Of course. Of what do course. you mean? If you're if you're a fan of the movies, that, I mean that was kind of a, a memorable quote from it, so I, okay. I remembered that. All right, all right. Uh, so no progress is made by me. No, so we both have one. Um, let us see. Uh, let's see. Number four. Who went to look for C-3PO in Cloud City after he went missing? A. Princess Leia. B. Han Solo. C. Chewbacca. Or D. Lobot. Who the hell's a Lobot? Is that like Gobot's second cousin? <laughs> no. So in Empire, there was a character who basically, I, I don't know if you remember this, but he had like kind of a metal, he was bald and he had a metal ring around the side of his head. And he he's supposed to be a cybernetic being of some kind. And they, the name they gave him was Lobot? Yes. Which I'm guessing is a combination of lobotomy and robot. <laughs> Either that or it's just a very fancy way of saying Labats. Well, that could be as well. Put an umlaut over that first A. Maybe that'll do. I don't know what the hell an umlaut does, but it looks cool. Um, it was a Chewbacca. Uh, okay, that is your guess. Um, I also guessed Chewbacca. Jesus. And that was correct. So we are both at two apiece. Uh-huh. Well done, sir. Uh-huh. What? This <laughs> is so freaking rigged. It is. Anyways, let's go, let's go on. Question five. Question five. Let's get to the heck How out is it the rigged? Just move on to the next question, please. please. I'd like to understand how you think this is rigged. Because the guy holding the book has the answers, and I'm oh answering gosh. first. This next one, I want to hear your guess first. Okay, fine. I think you'll know this one anyways, but number five, what was R2-D2 doing on Jabba the Hutt sail barge? A, asking beings to dance. B, serving drinks. C, collecting trash. Or D, passing out gift bags. I chose serving drinks. That is like the, the that is the worst selection of answers ever. Like, of course it's, it's serving drinks. Like, none of those are even like close. Like that's that is ridiculous. Like you, I, you made that one up. No, I didn't. It's question <laughs> two thousand three hundred and forty-seven out of the book, sir. Okay, yeah. Like you couldn't just make that up too. Okay. Oh my gosh. All, All right. right. What, well, ladies so and what gentlemen, what was the right answer? What was the right answer? The was, right answer was drink, serving drink. drinks. So we both uh, correctly <sighs> answered three out of five, uh, which has the overall score at ten six. The man they call Tim. Well done, sir. You should be proud Wait a of minute. yourself. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. You had it right here. T- oh, seven sorry. to four. Ten, ten seven, seven ten, sir. Ten seven. Ten seven. Look I'm at sorry. you. See, you you don't get anything on that way, and then you try and cheat I me on admit the math. I my mistake. I th- it was a Oh, my gosh. It's like, I feel like I'm like Leo gets right now. They'll F you on the math. They'll say, you know, you're going to be miles away. Well done for catching my mathematical error, sir. It is a rarity on this show, given how much you enjoy the maths. But uh, thank you for catching. It is ten seven. All right, are we are we done with the weekend geek reserve? This no, we're talk? not. We're moving on to something else, which I think will bring you a little bit more happiness. 
Okay. Uh, which is, uh, we're just going to, you know, last episode we talked about Book of Boba Fett and uh, uh, yes. the, uh, hand-wringing over how, you know, it has started off and so on and so forth. And then there was the gem of episode four this past week. And, well, <laughs> we here at Free Range EDC, we must give a few hot takes on this one because this this had a whole bunch of good stuff in it. Uh, and oh wait! First of all, though, to to all of the the naysayers and, and negative Nancys, a, a hearty har 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 har. Because <laughs> this episode had anything you could want. Oh my gosh! I mean, come on. Well, so how what, come you what, didn't show? How come we didn't like just take out the Sarlacc? How come this and that and the other? Because they were saving that for something even cooler. So you got double your Sarlacc for one price. Indeed. Indeed. And not only that, but you also got to see the uh, Sonic Bomb again. Yes. We can never oh get enough. No. That is awesome. Although it is kind of funny that Bulba's like almost gets killed twice. Yeah. By the Sarlacc. Well, and actually three times flying- if you think about it. I can't say that flying one ship into the mouth was probably the wisest maneuver that one no. could do. No, I no, like, not at all. What are you doing, man? Although, I gotta say, this is the first time, and you can correct me if I if I'm really if I'm missing something really huge here. This was the first time I remember seeing seatbelts in a Star Wars spaceship. Uh, you may want to go back to Mando season two when they were in his ship. And remember, the platform was rotating. Well, yeah, but I mean, like Boba Fett's ship is the one ship that seems like it has seat belts. Oh, Do you remember oh. every other ship, X-wings? I don't, I don't remember ever hearing a click or anything. Like, there's no shoulder straps, no nothing. I'm Millennium pretty sure Falcon. On the Falcon. I'm pretty sure nope. on the Falcon when they sat in the, the the passenger seats in the cockpit, I could have swore they clicked in. I've never seen and, and a lap yeah. belt. As you're doing, you know, loop-de-loops and all that crap. Anyways, I just, I, I appreciate the fact that we actually have a Star Wars ship that has seatbelts. So your hot take from this episode was the seatbelt? No, not at all. I thought the whole freaking episode was awesome. The, the, as I, I love the fact that you have, again, we get the, we get the mean-spirited, you know, bad, you know, Wookiee from the, you know, the wrong side of the bag. Yeah, the the wrong side of the the speeder train tracks, mm. and, he, and he's he's drunk, and yep. you know the only thing worse than a pissed off Wookie is a drunk pissed off Wookie <laughs> holding up the dude, and like you get that moment, and I'm just like, and I'm watching this with my daughter, and I'm just like, I turned to her, I'm like, he's gonna rip his arm off. <laughs> Like, yep. there's no way it's not going to happen. Then, of course, I'm like, yep, yep. see, I told you. Yep. And I, I love man, I love uh, Boba's line after that, it's worth a try. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, the whole man. episode was awesome, you know, and we were talking about it before when he tracks down the, the speeder bike gang. And for everyone who's like, oh, Boba is soft. Mm. You might want to rethink that now because he just gunned down an entire speeder bike gang in cold blood. Not even a, a hint of expression, remorse, nothing. It was just like, it was target practice. I, I do like how, though, they, they it was balanced out. Like, you know, leading into that scene and, you know, everything that kind of, the, the revelation of him coming upon, you know, Shannick, 
getting her um, you know shand fennec shand oh sorry fennec shand um you know basically getting her her healed repaired if you will Mm -hmm. um but explaining you know kind of finally verbalizing a bit uh the fact that he you know he he came to this realization that he he can't just keep roaming alone by himself that he needs to have you know after being a part of a tribe with the tuscans that that has had an impact on him and he wants to Mm -hmm. grow you know in a way his his own kind of family uh and 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 you know kind of build life with with others as opposed to just roaming by himself and so i i liked a lot of that leading up to when he does recover his ship um and then of course yeah the 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 hunt down of of, of the motorcycle gang which you know if if, if we thought there was going to be anything deeper or or more than that that was going to happen uh you you were wrong because uh boba done mowed them all down so oh yeah oh no just gosh. not even a thought oh not even a thought just and took he, he just went to town it was it was a slaughter of the highest order and, yeah and uh well deserved given uh you know unfortunately what those characters did uh you know inflicted upon him so yeah, uh, that, that was fantastic. Just for, and for the viewers, if you haven't seen it, 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 it's a phenomenal sight to see this biker gang flying along the uh, desert of Tatooine at more than 10 miles an hour. And in the background, you just see the fire spray gunship that just just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're like, oh, this is not going to end well. <laughs> no, no. And I think it's it, it really kind of illustrates exactly where the what the show is and I think people are kind of missing it. And I never really thought that much about it. But I mean, really, when we met Boba Fett, we caught the first time you meet Boba Fett, Empire Strikes Back. You're catching a dude in mid story. Yeah. You have no idea where he came from. You don't really care. I mean, he's just a he's just a bounty hunter and he's supposed to look like a badass. And then he's gone. And then you get a little bit of his early you get his early story, you know. And so we're missing this chunk out of the middle. But then you have this then you catch up with him again. In Mando. And now you have a, a much smaller chunk to deal with. Yeah. Just like what happened between Return of the Jedi and when he meets Mando. Mm-hmm. And how does all that happen? And we're going to get a lot of flashback. We're going to get a lot of filling in. And you're you're going to learn more about this character because – and I, I think just people were not quite understanding that. They thought it was going to be much more straightforward. Yeah. And it's not. Like you're you're seeing a a character in transformation from one mm-hmm. from one to another in a way you kind of saw a bit of where that transformation had him in Mando. Now you're seeing it further, but now you're also getting the backstory of how he went from the bounty hunter to now wanting to be this guy. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's fascinating. That's what's you're now you're you're fleshing out a character that he was he was a badass, no doubt. He was a badass. He was a one-dimensional badass because he just looked cool. That's why, like, right when they before he was even on screen and he was in a parade with Darth Vader and people were like, "Oh my gosh, what? Who is that? That's he's really cool looking." Mm. He just looked cool. He was totally one-dimensional. There was nothing about that character that you really knew or cared about, other than the fact that he looked cool. Right. And now you're actually finding out who this character is. Yeah. Yep. I think it's great, and that doesn't even get to like the end where we get, you know, the, the final thing that now is like, can't wait for fricking Wednesday. Oh, wait, 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 don't, don't go. Oh, there wait. Yet. Okay. Well, where are we going to need to go before that? What the, am I missing? The, 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 the dinner with the heads of the five families. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And, a little oh, bit of dude. the Godfather pulled into star Wars, but done in its own way. You know what I mean? A, l- 
a little bit. That was it was a little bit more, I think, the the Kill Bill scene with Oshi Ren because mm-hmm. he's basically dictating. Whereas the the meeting of the five families and the Godfather was, you know, two sides making peace. Well, yes, but I I just kind of thought it was. The 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 scene was reminiscent, except I I just love the fact that he has a rancor to kind of you know throw a little uh, uh, you know uh, what do you call it intimidation you know into the whole yeah thing, which I thought was kind of funny. The only thing is, would it have killed him to get a little like one line voiceover from Danny Trejo? Like the thing goes up, it hits there. He's like, hey, hey get down, you know. <laughs> I, I just need I need my machete fix now that we know oh. that Danny Trejo is in the in the Star Wars universe. I just I I want me some some space machete. That's what and I want. What was your takeaway from from that dinner? Because Chrysanta was now kind of standing like is is he now part of the of of the of the Fett family, if you will? I think he's heading there. I, I really right. do. And I, I, um, I do too. I, I thought it was kind of a cool, you know, kind of a cool uh change from from you know an episode ago when, when he was getting <laughs> strangled by <laughs> mm. i think i think the the uh the bulldog looking aliens whatever whoever they are they're going to be they're the ones who are going to try and sell out boba yeah. something's going to happen there the barzini but, uh, if you will yes the barzini the barzinis of the of tatooine yes yes Indeed. yeah no I, that was that was that was good you're you are correct that was that was well worth the entire like rescue of of the ship was great i oh, mean yeah yeah the whole episode was just, it, 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 but this is a thing. Like you need to have that episode three to give mm-hmm. episode four impact. The same way as episode one kind of set you up for episode two. Like well, it's it's dynamics and and it's world building and and it's it's uh, you know we talked about this a couple episodes ago with you know the sh- that, that show Another Life where where that there there wasn't a lot of that. You were just kind of thrust into things and you know basically in a way dictated to on how you should be feeling about certain characters. And this was a, like, I love the fact that episode one had very, very minimal dialogue because you're, you're looking at his journey from the Sarlacc pit to being a prisoner, to being a welcome member. And I I mean, not a welcome member, but starting to be taken into the tribe that, that is, that has basically uh, captured him. And, uh, and, and you, you know, you need that time spent with the characters to kind of build up to the emotional crescendos of different events happening rather than just thrusting you into the events happening, you know? So yeah. Which I, is I the thing is like, great. you can do that. You can thrust, you, you can bring the, the viewer right into the middle of a situation, but you have to either way, if you're going to build the world, you're going to just drop you right into the middle of this thing that's in progress. You have to build the characters. And in fact, they did a better job getting some of those Tuscan sand people to resonate than they did on another life with some of the secondary characters who you could yeah. see their face and them emote. And you had more of an attachment to the Tuscans than you did to them right. just because you, you, you do character work differently. And that's mm-hmm. the, and you have to do it economically and make it count. Yep. And you know, that's kind of the difference. And now to what you were going to say, sir, please. Oh, well, if you got enough credits. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, come I'm not on. even doing justice to the song, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, oh, business is about to pick up, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a good episode, five, a good chapter five this Wednesday. How are you There's feeling, JR? How are you chapters. feeling? 
Oh, my God, that's Mando's music. Oh, my gosh. It was great. It was great. Oh. Yeah. But, but again, oh, you, no, I'm you, looking forward to it. They, they built to that. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like, it, it, and it was so great how they did it because like this episode, you know, we, we finally get to understand, you know, each of these first four, you're kind of asking yourself, man, he has to keep going in that tank. Like when is he, you know, like, is, is he doing it because of what he had been through? Is he doing it because he just has something that he has to keep getting healed from what's going on? Well, this, this episode, it was, oh, you're healed now completely. Yeah. You know, so now well, it's you also like, got the reason like he he went into the Sarlacc without right. without his armor. Yeah. And, and got himself all, you know, crispy crittered up. That's, you know, yep. Ain't yep. good for your constitution. No, it isn't. No, you look a little, uh, you know, digestive. A little rough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, yeah, no, that was episode five is going to be great. Going to be great this Wednesday, man. Oh, oh it's going to be lovely. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. And. Uh, finally, uh, this week we also got, uh, treated to the, uh, you know, a, a, I don't want to call it an extended version, but it was a, it was not a teaser trailer. It was, I guess, a normal size trailer from Moon Knight, uh, which oh, will be yeah. debuting on March 30th on the plus. The plus. So what do you think, sir? Oh, it's, it looks bat spit insane. Mm-hmm. I am so up for this. Like Oscar I, Isaacs and uh, apparently going out of his mind <laughs> and, and, and apparently the guy who uh, looks like you, uh, Ethan Hawke. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My, uh, my twinsy. <laughs> I, I had to do a double take. I'm like, is uncle Todd in this show? What's going on here? You know, I didn't get a call for any stunt work or stand-ins or anything. My feelings are a little hurt. You know, me and Ethan, we used to be tight. <laughs> now all of a sudden he's got all big and bad and he's, oh. you know, Oh wait, Not he's famous. he's been all Hollywood for quite a while. <laughs> Never mind. Mm-hmm. Oh well, no, it looks great. It looks, I mean, it's it's an insane Batman with like super Egyptian powers, and it's it's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely great. And the best part with the trailer is you really can't make heads or tails of where this is going exactly. No, I mean, the only thing you can glom onto is he has some issue with his identity and. He's going like, like, I love the the line toward the end where it's like, embrace the chaos and he just becomes Moon Knight. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. man. oh, man, this is yeah. gonna be good. And then just the way he's like beating the tar out of, you know, whatever villain it is that he's beating on. It was just like, oh, this is going to be it's going to be serious. <laughs> so, yeah, no, this is this might be one of the first Marvel shows where I'm like, you know what, kid, uh, you might need to watch this the next <laughs> night. I got to I might have to preview this. I got to. Yeah. <laughs> I need to I need to filter this first. I might I I don't know. I mean, you know, we've we've you've been good with everything so far, but I just want to make sure I'm not going to wake up to someone screaming a kid screaming in the middle of the night, you know? I just don't need that. Yes. Yes indeed. But no, it looks fantastic. I'm I am all I am ready for that. Mm-hmm. So ready for that. And I do believe uh Uncle Todd and I had a bit of a planning uh, meeting this week and I believe we have a real in Jabroni on Moon Knight that's upcoming here so uh did we? I didn't think uh, we had. Well, no, I mean not in the next couple uh, episodes. It's it's a bit out, you know, kind of more toward the end of March, but ah uh, uh, yes. You know, around the time the show comes out, we will make our wagers. We will uh look at the rumors and there will be bourbon uh, you know, handed out. So by that time, everyone will be rested up from our uh, real and jabroni bender that we went on at the end of 2021. <laughs> the, the, the holiday edition. <laughs> I, 
gosh. Louise. It's like every show for like two months, I swear. Oh. We're doing another one of these? Yeah. Oh. Anyway. And that, my friends, is The Weekend Geek. All right. Well, thank you, sir, for uh, all of your your work and sleuthing around the interwebs. And once again, thank you to our sponsor, Homemade Chili. Put it in your mouth hole and shut up. Uh, <laughs> this episode, we are going to once again uh, tackle an album one-on-one. Now, if you have not heard this before, basically what we do is we take an album and we assign it to the other idiot to listen to and then report back on. Hmm. And, uh, and usually this is an album that we are very familiar with and that the other person is not familiar with. And uh, I think we'd managed to follow that through. And and also, usually because I'm, I'm anal retentive like this, I try and come up with some sort of a link between the two. So Tim, Tim will pick out his album first, and then I will try and find a, a link that will work for uh, to work with his album. And I think we did we did pretty good on this one. Um, oh, yeah. So the the two albums in question are ZZ Top's Eliminator mm. and synchronicity by the police thus the name of the show so going first uh eliminator by zz top of course released in 1983 clocking in at 45 minutes 28 seconds uh had what one two three four singles off of it three that are just if, if you don't know these songs you weren't alive in the 80s pretty much like they are that prevalent um and then uh zz top of course up until very recently the same three guys it's always been. And then of course uh, we lost uh, dusty Hill, but uh, this is the rundown. so we have Billy Gibbons, who is uh, the lead vocalist and lead guitar player, only guitar player, dusty Hill on bass and also uh, doing some lead vocals and Frank beard, who is the drummer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you want to run down what your album was for me, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, so mine was uh, synchronicity by the police uh, released in 1983 as well as uh, we've discussed at the top of the show. Uh, basically uh, 44 minutes and 30 seconds of audio. Uh, just just delight uh, from from these gentlemen from the UK. Uh, similar to Eliminator, I uh, believe this one had about four uh, hits off of it. Um, and is widely uh, thought to be um, basically uh, what I, I believe the band's best. It was the band's last uh, mm. album together um, and really was uh, the one that cemented them at that time as one of the biggest bands in the world. Uh, so this this was a, a departure from their uh, a bit of their reggae roots into uh, some new wave and, and, you know, kind of some different styles. And in some ways, uh, I, I, I got to go back and look at my notes, but I, in some ways I think uh, there was a little bit of new wave in, in Eliminator too, slightly. So um, yes, that, that, that had a little bit of a, an impact on both bands, which was kind of interesting. So uh, yeah. the lineup for uh, the police, if you are not aware, is Stuart Copeland on drums and percussion, Andy Summers on guitar and Sting on bass and vocals. So good old Gordon. Gordon uh, good old Sumner. Gordon. Gordon Sumner something something the third or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> He's got like four names to make up his one name. Heir to the throne, defender of the realm. <laughs> For first of his name. <laughs> Jeez. Oh my god. Which if you ask Stuart Copeland, that is exactly how he would describe like yep, that is Sting. He believes he is defender of the realm, first of his name, <laughs> lord of the all he all he <laughs> Stewart would Stewart would nod along heartily to that one. Um, oh, I bet, I bet. No, a little foreshadowing there. 
so why did you pick synchronicity for me to listen to, sir? So, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. So I'm, I'm not, you know, a huge police fan in the way that I was a, a fan of rush or that I've listened to Zeppelin and, you know, some other classic rock bands just, uh, over the course of, you know, like last year I started to listen to, uh, more and more kind of eighties, you know, hits from when I was growing up music, I remember hearing on the radio and one of the songs that was really, uh, you know, and I just remember this as a kid, you know, one of those things that just kind of sticks with you is, uh, is just every breath you take just that baseline. And I'll, I'll get into Mm -hmm. that more when we talk about the songs, but, but I just remember as a kid, like whenever that song came on, I just, I, I really enjoyed the, the feel of it, the, the, the sound, the tone, just everything that they were doing in it. And, uh, and so I started listening to that and then that led to some other, uh, you know, police music as well, some from earlier albums. But uh, over the holidays, I just listened to Synchronicity uh, several times, um, really enjoy it as, as an album, a uh, lot of really good music in it, um, which I'll get into, you know, some of the references that kind of hold uh, some value for, for, for me and stuff. And, and just, uh, just really thought it was um, just a well put together album overall. So I thought uh, that it would be a good candidate uh, to take a trio from the UK as opposed to Canada. And have Uncle Todd uh, give it a listen and uh, just get his thoughts on uh, the stylings of a band that clearly was doing some experimentation with sound, with uh, with rhythm, with uh, with a lot of different things. I mean, the, the, this 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 album has a lot of different uh, tone structure and arrangement and, and style to it. And so mm. uh, so I just thought it would be kind of an interesting one for for you to delve into, sir. Uh with all that being said, uh, you, sir, why Eliminator for me? Well, as I said before, I, I'm other than your OCD. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I like to find those links and I kind of, I just don't want it to be like random albums. And so when I, when I realized the year that synchronicity came out, I was like, Hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. And it just so happened to be the year that ZZ top, uh, released Eliminator. And when I was growing up, I was not listening to to the police and to a lot of like stuff that was going on in the eighties. I was not, I was not up on what was hip at the moment. I was listening, uh, in grade school, I was listening to pretty much all beach boys and maybe some blues, which is very, is kind of an odd assortment of stuff. But I was, I was listening to like tons of beach boys stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I had so many different tapes that I would grab from, from, you know, different people and stuff like that. And, but one of the, one of the bands that I was into that was at least somewhat current was ZZ Top Mm. and Eliminator was the first album that I ever, you know, first ZZ Top album that I got. And of course, I mean, I I had MTV on cable and back in the mid eighties, I mean, fricking ZZ Top legs, give me all your loving, uh, sharp dress, man those were on heavy rotation, like several years after the album came out. I mean that those videos had, you know, <laughs> had legs. <laughs> um, well done, sir. Yeah. Thank you. That was horrible. Uh, but they got a lot of mileage out of those videos. So those are still very much in rotation. And I, I hooked onto it cause I was like, what is this? I mean, the fuzzy guitars, the, the hand movements, the car, I mean, and Hey, let's face it, you know, the girls did not, you know, hurt my, hurt my perception of it, uh, at that time in my life. 
And, uh, you know, going from the point when it's like, ew, girls to like, hmm, girls. Um, (laughs) So, well, I mean, that's just what happens. You know, uh, at a certain point you decide like, hmm, maybe I kind of want to go over and talk to them. Mm. Um, And uh, and then I didn't because I was like, they're going to throw stuff at me. Uh, But that's another that's another therapy. That's an episode for another time. (laughs) For another time. Uh, but this was just like an album that 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 stuck with me and that I, I listened to the tape a lot. And, you know, I just thought this is a good one because we got a trio. You got the, the police and then you got ZZ Top and very mm. different trios. Oh, yes. I mean, you've, you've got ZZ Top very much like the guitar is front and center is driving every is like steering the band. Mm-hmm. and the drums are falling in line and they're all important. I mean, all three of those guys are important in the band. However, it really is like the guitar is the center. Yeah. yeah. The police to me were more like cream mm-hmm. in that you had three virtuoso musicians all doing separate things, but together in this weird sort of way, like they're all going different directions, but they're going different directions together in this, yeah. in this sort of odd way. And so I was like, "Hey, this is a very interesting dynamic." So I'll serve this up and see what uh, see what the man they call Tim has to say about this. All right, very nice, very nice. All right. So, do you want to go first with your overall thoughts, or should I? Um, I can go first if you want. All right. Why not? So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, fifth and final studio album from the police. I thought it was interesting because, again, I dig into the history of this stuff because I am that sort of dork. Uh, I love the fact that basically after this album and tour, they were like, you know what? We got to get the heck away from each other for a while. <laughs> and they did not come back together until 1986 to start recording new music. Mm-hmm. And Book Studio Time came in and basically the entire thing just fell to pieces. Like it became very apparent that uh, Sting was not going to write any new music for the band. And Stuart Copeland, I guess the, day, the night before they were supposed to go into the studio, fell off of a horse and oh, wow. broke his collarbone. Oh, <laughs> so he, he can't, you know, Stuart can't drum, uh, which is tough. Yeah. Uh, so then they changed direction to re-record some of their past hits and basically wound up with one song which was uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me, 86. And that was released as part of a Greatest Hits album. And that was it. Like, that is the last thing that the the band really did in a studio together. Um, another interesting piece is, this was mastered, of course, by uh, Bob Ludwig, who is, you know, mastering guy extraordinary and actually is, owns Gateway Mastering, which is in Portland, Maine. And that's actually where my band had our album mastered, not by Bob, because we don't have that kind of cash. <laughs> However, he also mastered ZZ Top's Eliminator album. Wow. And I do distinctly remember, I don't remember seeing Synchronicity in Gateway when I went there. I do remember seeing Eliminator, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen, because I'm like, oh my gosh, my album was mastered by the same company mm-hmm. that did like this album that was like so you know, that I thought was like just the coolest thing on the planet at the time. Um, so that was interesting. And I, I really thought the way that they recorded the band, recorded the album was interesting. So they recorded, they tracked stuff live, but all three of them in different rooms. <laughs> oh, really? So they had the drum room, they had the guitar room and they had the, uh, and Sting recorded his bass in the control room with the engineer, which is not that abnormal. Like uh, when I've, when I've, when I didn't, 
recorded with my band, you know, we had the drums in a separate room and then everyone else was in one big live room, but the guitar amps and bass amps were in a different room and those were being mic'd, you know, from the other, everyone had headphones. So you, you could hear everything bounce. But just the fact that all three of them were in different rooms is very emblematic of how that band was functioning at that time, because there was one song in particular, uh, Every Breath You Take, where Stuart Copeland and Sting actually got themselves into a fist fight <laughs> which, in the middle of recording it. Which is funny because it's, 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 such, a, it's such a, I don't want to say laid back, but it's, it's, it's a very calming song. You know what I mean? It's uh, not a very... Not the yeah. recording of it, apparently, because well, yeah, uh, I know they, it, it, it's just funny, like like you said, that a fist fight breaks out for a song that just kind of has the feel and mood and texture of that one. Well, the other thing too is, I mean, they, they were, uh, you know, Stu, Stuart and and Sting could get into a fight, you know, deciding, you know, who who should get coffee. So, I mean. <laughs> Very, very well documented. And I, I read Stuart Copeland's uh, bio- autobiography. And again, he just he's, he describes it so much of how like there's just this thing and like Sting would give him a look and he's like, oh, yeah, and just <laughs> it just sets him off. And I'm like, of course that happened. And uh, and actually, in at the same time, like they got into a fight, their producer almost quit. And so, oh <laughs> like that gosh. one song almost broke the album. Wow. Um, but I thought it was it was great that, you know, because so they would basically they track everything live, do a bunch of different takes, and then they would grab the best bits, create like this master, and then they threw the overdubs on it, which is kind of a cool way of recording and, and different from what they had recorded in their previous album where they'd done, they'd done a lot more overdubs. They'd done a lot of more studio tricks. And this was for them much more of a back to basic sort of thing. Yeah. Um, overall, I thought the, al- the album is great. Um I don't think it's the thing is I not being a huge fan of the police in, in terms of like knowing their whole catalog, being able to cite chapter and verse on all the B sides and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite album. Uh, But then again, I wouldn't know what my favorite police album is because I never thought of that. I I, I just know the singles. So I know Roxanne, I know don't stand so close to me message Mm -hmm. in a bottle. You know, I know all those songs and like the singles end up making up what I think of the police almost like to me, like REM, like I yeah. know of REM and I, I feel like I'd have a pretty good grasp of their career arc, but I just know the singles. I don't know, like, I don't know like what automatic, the, what the track listing of automatic for the people is like, right. I would know, right. like I'd be able to probably run you down with, with fairly good success, what the track listing of bare naked ladies Gordon is to this day. And I haven't listened to that right. album since we talked about it. So to me, it's, it's a, it's a great album in that it's very interesting sonically. It's like the, the side a, I don't think is as strong as side B. So that mm-hmm. second half where you get into synchronicity too, you get into King of pain, every breath you take, you know, um, uh, what the heck is the other song? The, the last song on that, uh, wrapped around your finger. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, you get like the hits, like the, the singles all bunched into that one area on the album. Um, and the rest of it is good. It's just not as good as those four songs. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was good. I, I think that, uh, the funny thing is like King of pain is probably one of the songs off of there that I knew best by name aside from, you know, the, the next song that I'll talk about, cause you can't get away from it. Mm. Um, but the funny thing is like, I noticed when I was listening to it today, just how the interplay of the three instruments work. And it was, it was fascinating for me because I love how in, instead of like, normally when you get into a halftime feel, it's the drums leading that. 
And I love how in here, it's the bass that really goes into the halftime during the chorus mm-hmm. and the drums just keep driving through, you know? Yeah. And, and so, and, and with a lot of this album, you know, Stuart Copeland is doing a lot of stuff straight ahead, yeah. you know, which is not Stuart Copeland's thing. I mean, but he, like his cymbal work and the way he plays off of the bass and everything uh, is, it's just excellent. It really is excellent. Yeah. Um, every breath you take, of course, is, you know, freaking gigantic, dude. You can't get around it and you have to talk about it. This is the stat that just blew my mind. Every breath you take is estimated to generate a quarter to a third of Sting's music publishing income. Jeez. That's year crazy. to year. That's how much one song. Yeah. And Sting has had himself a career. Yeah. It's not like he hasn't had other hits. Like he has had some pretty damn big songs, mm-hmm. but that one song, I mean, now granted, he's also kind of, he kind of hosed Andy and Stewart on publishing uh, because he wrote, he, he wrote most of the lyrics and kind of assumed the bulk of the, the publishing rights, which mm-hmm. uh, again is another reason why Stewart, I think wants to stave in his head on a regular basis. Um, but it also is a, uh, by in 2019, it was recognized as the most played song in radio history. Jeez. That's just insane. Yeah. Now, that's just the beginning of the insanity, though, because not even getting into let's not get into the song itself. This song was written after Sting started an affair with his wife with with his wife's best friend who lived next door to them. Hmm. Now, that lady eventually did become his wife. However, it was a bit of a journey to get there. And I'm going to guess that they don't send Christmas cards anymore. Um, but not. he apparently wrote it in about a half hour at Ian Fleming's writing desk at his GoldenEye estate in Jamaica. So you can draw a, a direct line between James Bond and every breath you take. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, insane. However, it's to me, it's it's more notable because it is quite possibly the most misunderstood song in music history, mm-hmm. uh, because people everywhere were using this for like their wedding song, and we're like, oh, it's our proposal song or whatever, and they're dancing around with it. And Sting said himself that he was disconcerted by people thinking the song was more, you know, more positive than it is. Yeah, because he yeah. he's he says himself it's about a person's obsession with a lost lover and the jealousy and surveillance that follows. He even calls the song a bit sinister. Yeah. Well, Which, and, 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 oh and my I think God. that's and I think that's what makes it so popular or so listened to is that it has you know, it has a darkness to it. You know, I mean it's it's it, But like it's I a said, darkness it's, that goes over some people's heads. Like the a lot of people just are like, Oh my yeah. gosh, this is such a great song. It's like have you really paid attention to like what this kind of means? Like, yeah. it, ah, no, I know. It, I, and it's, it, you know, I, I said earlier, it has a, you know, it's kind of a calm song, but at the same time, it's a calm song where like you, you know, as, as you've been saying, if you pay attention to the lyrics, you're, you're, you're kind of dealing with some dark subject matter. So yes. Yeah. And so the the other part of this that is interesting too is because of the aforementioned uh, fist fight and the producer almost quitting. This song, instead of they tried to track it live, and they mm-hmm. couldn't do it. So this song was completely assembled from overdubs, which is funny because, as you mm-hmm. said, this song and and even Sting said like the song musically is a mishmash of other stuff. Like he even said is like he doesn't think that the music is really that important. 
Like there's nothing remarkable about the actual musical composition. It's the words that kind of are interesting to him. And so listening to the song, I would be like, wow, that's gotta be a pretty easy one to knock out, you know? And no, they couldn't, they couldn't track it live, whether it was the personalities or just getting hung up on musical parts. This was complete overdubs and just like pieced together in the edit, which I thought was kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, but overall, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting album to listen to front to back. It's back when you still made albums, you know, and, and the yeah. album kind of had a feel all the way through. Yeah. Um, definitely much more new wave influence, uh, which is kind of why I'm like, meh, not as much of a fan of this as I am some of their other stuff. Um, exploring a lot of like world music, world rhythms and, and kind of, you know, fun stuff in there too, which is kind of cool texturally. I don't think it, I'll say this. I don't think it leads to anything huge. Like I, I still think that the songs that are the, the kind of the most remarkable ones for me are the more popular songs. Yeah. Um, and then the rest is sort of like, ah, it's cool, but eh, nothing I'm going to really want to go back and re-listen to unless did I'm doing feel, a, like a whole thing. Did you feel like the last two songs were kind of a precursor to what came to be late eighties, early nineties sting? Oh, totally. <laughs> Tea yeah, in the totally. Sahara. I mean, such a jazzy oh, yeah. song. And then murder by numbers was the same, you know, kind of, you know, just, just that early nineties oh, sting, you know? Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> But, but overall thoughts, I mean, a good album and, uh, you know, it was a fun listen. So what are your overall thoughts on uh, Eliminator? Uh, so for Eliminator, um, you know, like as I listened through uh, in the car, you know, yesterday going through and, and, you know, I listened to it in the car, I listened to it at home, um, you know, just to form just kind of my thoughts on things and, and all the way, th- I, I, like the straight line that you can draw through the whole album is just if you take the band and you just kind of have a setting of you're at a bar with friends and you want to, or or I shouldn't say a bar, a bluesy bar, right? These Mm. guys are going to bring the house down because they, they are, I I mean, it's, it's, it's in some ways I almost kind of wish they didn't even have vocals because I feel like they do such a great job with the guitar being the vocal. You know what I mean? Like, like the guitar is the character and, Mm -hmm. You know, you you have, well, sorry, what's his name? Dusty? No, not Dusty. Um, You're talking about Billy on Billy. on lead. Billy yeah. Gibbons, you know, does a fine job singing, but you know, as as I'm listening to songs like, uh, you know, "Give Me All Your Love" and "Sharp Dressed Man," um, you know, I got I got the six, um, you know, legs. Uh, what was he? Oh, if I could only flag her down. I mean, the mm. guitar is just such a a foundational part of all the songs, you know, and it brings all of the energy and all of the character to it in a lot of ways. The rhythm is, yeah. is awesome. I mean, I think the rhythm section, you know, is very, it, it can be very simplistic, but it's like to play that way constantly is, is not no easy chore either. You know what I mean? And, and you have to no. maintain that, but, but, but the rhythm is driving, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I really uh, appreciated that as well from, from what they did. I thought, um, you know, like, like the very first song, give me all your loving is, you know, great energy, you know, from both the rhythm and the guitars had almost kind of a Sammy Hagar feel to it. You know what I mean? Like like just vocally and and the way they kind of arranged it. Um, for my money, it's, it's for my money is one of the better lead off tracks from the, from an eighties album. Like that, that song tells you pretty much everything you need to know about this album. 
Yeah. Like you, you're like, okay, I think I know what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like the opening chorus from like an ACDC album. Like, oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, you know, I found myself, let me see. So I, I had a favorite song, which we'll get into in, in a little bit here. Um, I had a least favorite song. Um, kind of tied on a couple of songs for surprises because there, there were a couple in there that I thought were, were kind of interesting. Um, you know, TV dinners I thought was, was yep. hysterical and, and, and it's really such an odd choice for like a single, but that was like the fourth single off the album, which makes me go like, how much cocaine was going on in the eighties where, where some A&R guy was like, yeah, let's do that song. Sure. <laughs> Oh my gosh. No, but I mean, I'm listening to the lyrics and listening to this song and I'm just like, you know, feeling like, man, we could have written this in the apartment we lived in when we were in college. <laughs> you know, it's yep. like, where, where were we for writing this? Because I mean, this was like, you know, just well, we so were, crazy. We were about easy. 10, 12 years too late. That's where oh, we were. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, uh, but no, I mean, just, you, you know, the, the simplicity, the tone, the mood, the feel of it was great. It had kind of like a Huey Lewis and the news feel to it. I mean, not, not to compare, but, but I just, that was a thought I had as I was listening to it was it just kind of felt like Huey Lewis could have stepped in and sung the song. You know what I mean? Like it just had that sort of feel to it. Um, mm. and that's another band. Oh, that's another band we should do an album one-on-one with, but, oh, uh, but I'm no, I mean, that. overall, I love um, me some Huey. what's that? I said, I'm up for that. I love me some Huey. Oh, Huey. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing I would kind of knock against it a little bit is, you know, especially as you're kind of working through the album, the songs start to sound kind of similar. Um, you know, Dirty Dog has a lot of very similar patterns to Legs and Sharp Dressed Man. Mm. Um you know, Bad Girl was interesting at the end, but I mean, you know, it started off sounding like a David Re- David Lee Roth song with the screeching vocals, um, mm. and then it also starts to sound like a Cars song as they start out. <laughs> so it's kind of like this, yeah. this weird melding of like different styles being brought together, and um, you know, it, it it was fun, enjoyable. It was you know something that I think uh, makes for good driving music. Um, so I mean, I I enjoyed it. Um, is it my most favorite? Probably not, but, uh, but it was interesting to kind of revisit the boys because growing up similar as I shared with the police and, and, you know, kind of the impact some of their pop hits, you know, had on me, um, you know, you know, ZZ Top was another one, you know, they, they were always the crazy, you know, kind of the crazy bearded, uh, band, you know, that just popped in and, uh, played, you know, a couple songs and, and, you know, kind of disappeared. So, um, so I, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed listening to the album because it just brought back a lot of memories that way. Um, it was nice to get into some of the deeper stuff. Um, but it also, I felt in some ways kind of exposed some of the weaknesses of, of the band as well. When you start to, you know, kind of wander a bit from, from the blues, uh, you know, pattern that, that they, they have down so well. So those are just some yeah. thoughts, uh, on, on the album overall. Yeah. The, the thing that occurred to me is I was, I, cause I was skipping through it today because I've, I've, I've listened to that album enough that I felt like I knew most of it, but listening yeah. to it with some fresh ears after not having listened to those, to the album version of those songs in, in a long time, how much the, uh, how much synth bass synth yeah. overall yeah. and, and electric drums yes. that there were. Yep. And in reading up on a little bit today, like they recorded the the songs and then when they went to mix, 
Billy Gibbons ended up working with with a producer and another guy, and they basically removed a lot of the original performance from from Dusty and Frank. Oh, so wow. they went in and they uh, they used like you know the the drum track as a guide, but then they replaced it all with electric drums. Oh, interesting! And replaced a lot of the bass with synth bass. Yeah. And listening to it now, I'm like, wow, how did I miss that? And then I just, I, I never really thought about it that much. I was always like, oh yeah, ZZ Top, it's great. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm listening to it, I'm like, ah, oh. like, especially like playing bass now, it's like, ooh, oh, I, I just don't, I'm not a big fan of synth bass. Yeah. And, uh, and listening to it now, I'm like, ah, oh. but I mean, thankfully you go on the YouTubes and you can find some pretty high quality uh, videos of them playing a lot of these songs. Uh, live yeah. and without the uh, without the interference of a ton of synth. I mean, of course, there's probably some backing tracks in some of them because you know you got to have some of it. But they could play these songs live for sure. So oh, yeah. it it was more like to tr- try and cash in on you know what the hip kids are listening to these days. Which you know, hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah, it's just kind of every band does it. I mean, and you know, I I, I kind of felt like vocally they you know they're they're and this could just stem from their, their roots with, you know, playing in the playing blues and that sort of thing. Cause blues music was known to have, you know, similar sim- simplistic vocals to it, but, but it's not like the vocals are, and, and I don't mean to get say simplistic in the sense of, um, you know, purely simple, but they, I should say lyrically, lyrically, these songs don't go very deep or don't have a lot of content. You know what I mean? Like, like lyrically, it's basically repeating almost the same line over and over again. Now this is not every song, but it's, it's a fair number of them, you know, like it's like one or two lines constantly repeated, throw in a long guitar solo, repeat them again, throw in another long guitar solo. And then we wrap up the song. That's kind of Mm -hmm. the pattern. Um, and, and I do think that that kind of stands in contrast to, the police where, you know, if I flip back and just, you know, kind of touch on, um, just a couple songs that, that I enjoy, like, like I, I love the fact, I mean, it's not a super popular song, but like the song, Oh my God. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that it had like kind of a day tripper riff to it. You know what I mean? Like it just had this. That's the song it was. I couldn't, I was trying to place it and I'm going through the entire (laughs) freaking Beatles catalog today. And I'm like, (laughs) As I'm going through it, I'm like, oh, my God, I, I can't find the song I'm thinking of. And I was trying to play it in my head. All I had was the beginning of the riff. Thank yeah. you. Oh, oh you're God. welcome. Oh, you're that was going to keep me awake tonight. Oh, it drove Thank me. You. It drove me nuts for about an hour on Saturday. And then I'm like, where have I heard this riff before? And then I started playing a couple of Beatles songs and I came upon Day Tripper and I'm like, that's it. Oh, uh, you're a better man than I. But uh, but no, like like, you know, the vocals from, you know, King of Pain from Every Breath You Take, um, you know, uh, you know, a song like like Miss Gradenko. I mean, it, it's, you know, just that whole like like theme of of like digitalization and, and, and you know, robotics and stuff like that and how, how they played around with with the sound and, you know, just the tone of their voice to, to kind of bring a texture in you know, I just felt like that, that was kind of a key difference between the two of them is I feel the, the police just have a bit more depth, you know, musically and, and lyrically and vocally. But like I said, ZZ top, when you put them next to the police and you put them in a bar and you're like, okay, which of these two are going to drive a lot of energy and a lot of like, you know, passion out of the people sitting there listening, ZZ top brings a lot of energy, 
You know what I mean? ZZ like, Top's going to sell a lot more long necks than the police. That's uh-huh. just the way it's going to go. Uh-huh. Absolutely. <laughs> at least, so, in, at least in a certain bar. I mean, well, it depends. Maybe geographically, it matters. But yeah, well, ZZ Top's going to shift some beer. Yeah, I, and and I say that because you know we 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 do this 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 gimmick, if you will, of a show, not to sit and rag or 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 devalue or demote any one of these. I I think if anything, it's to bring out both the positives and the negatives of both bands, you know, like mm-hmm. every band has its strengths and its weaknesses. And, and, you know, for a band like ZZ top who have persisted for 50 some odd years, you know, mm. there's a reason for that, you know, and they, they, they bring a very, you know, uh, a, a very strong energy and a very, uh, uh, you know, just, just pulsing driving rhythm to, to their, to their music, which, you know, gets its, its, you know, roots from the blues, which is what a lot of people get drawn to. So, I, mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting when you look at the band side by side, how each of them have kind of their, their, you know, their positives to it. And of course I'm gravitating to the one that's rush like, because with rush, I enjoy the musicianship. I enjoy the lyrics. I enjoy the, the, the music technicality that they put into uh, their playing and, and the musicianship side of it. The police do the same thing, but ZZ top, you know, like I said, driving in a car, I wouldn't mind having it on because it's it's music that kind of keeps me going, you know, especially if I'm on a long car ride. So, mm. uh, so yeah, so I, I I just found that interesting, and uh, but that that's my overall thoughts on uh, on the ZZs. Well, and the thing to keep in mind though is, I think it's a little it's the there's a difference between overt, you know, great musicianship, and that kind of musicianship that just is quiet and that you 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 kind of have to go out of your way to notice. You know, like it's it's kind of easy to notice the musicianship with Rush and the police because what they're doing is. Is in some ways controlled chaos Mm -hmm. because it really is three different people pulling in three different directions. Right. In some cases, like it really feels that way. And that tension is what what holds the thing together. Whereas and, and of course, it takes great musicianship to do that successfully because you can watch you know people get up there and flail away and all think that they're playing lead at the same time and you know it's a it's a traffic wreck you don't you don't want to be involved in it um zz top to me is more like it's like a it's like a chariot you know you got like a team of horses you know and they're they're all pulling in the same direction and it's it's easy to not necessarily notice the musicianship because again the guitar is right out front the guitar is the thing that's that is really leading the band and you know, is the flashy part, but man, listening to, to dusty Hill, you like listen to his bass parts. Not, not necessarily on this one. Cause again, there's a ton of synth bass bass, yeah. yeah. but if you listen to the, to the ZZ top catalog, mm. dusty Hill, man, he is a mother yeah. on bass because again, Billy Gibbons is off doing his thing and, and dusty is filling space and he, and he's using like the, the effects that he would use, like a lot of distortion. Like his sound was very wide, like it just filled. And and he did that so well so that Billy could do whatever he wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he's just filling up space so that you don't feel like it's a very thin sound. Like there's just he, his sound is just big and wide is all outside. And yeah. Frank Beard, again, not like the, you know, Ginger Baker, Keith Moon, Stuart Copeland sort of guy. But that guy is rock solid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, that is the kind of guy that you just don't even worry about if he know about any part of the song. Like, cause I played, I've played in different bands 
and and there's times when you're a little nervous because you're worried that the drummer won't get a song or whatever, or there's a tough part coming up or something like that. And that's just natural. Frank is the kind of guy who it, to me is like, you don't worry about that because he's just, he's just always there, you yeah. know? And it's a very different type of musicianship where it's it's not something that you look at. But then if you if you were to actually play it, and that's something that I heard from somebody who was in a cover band, and they're like, "Yeah, we were going to play some ZZ Top." Like, ah, it's easy. It's just the blues. It's like it wasn't easy. No, it's like it's it's not easy to play that and play it tight and well, play it well. You and, know, and and that's what I said at the beginning of this is that even though the rhythm section may seem and and I don't mean to use the mean this in a disrespectful way is pedestrian. But to mm-hmm. do it constantly tight, like you just said, and, and you know, hit your mark every single time, that's not easy. That no. is not easy at all. No, um, and that's something we talked about with Michael Anthony from Van Halen, going uh-huh. out and playing that every single night and nailing it. That's, and, that is a skill set all its own. I mean, I've, I've played 12-bar blues, you know, just jamming with some people, and it's amazing to me how after five or 10 minutes, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing this as my full-time job. I don't practice for two, three hours every day. You know, I mean, really, if you're going to be a musician, you need to do more than that. But, um, but when I'm, you know, just jamming with some guy, when, when I had a, a group that I was just kind of jamming with and doing like 12, 16 bar blues, my, my arm would basically wear out. Like I, I just, I could not, <laughs> I could not play for longer than five to seven minutes, if even that, because mm-hmm. you're and, and I'm talking about doing like a walking baseline, like constantly, you know, just kind of going through and then doing little, you know, bits and that sort of thing, because you have to keep like to use your phrasing, you have to keep it tight. Otherwise, it doesn't mm-hmm. sound right. You know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. that's a very difficult thing to do if, if you're not doing it like your full time job. You know what I mean? So I. I, you know, respect to them for, for, for that. And, and as you were saying too, uh, and I, I said this at the beginning, I really feel like the guitar for them for ZZ top is yet like another vocal, you know, like the way dusty, I keep saying dusty, it's not dusty. It's yeah. Billy Gibbons. The way Billy plays the guitar, you know, it, it is like a fourth band member. If, if, if that mm. makes sense, you know what I mean? Yep. Like it brings a lot of character and body to the music they play. And it's almost like in its own category, Whereas when they're doing the verse and the chorus and all that stuff, it's, you know, it's, it's more subdued or just more kind of, you know, woven into the fabric of the song. But when he breaks out into those solos, it's mm. like, good Lord almighty. It's like another verse. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. All right. So what was your, uh, what's your favorite song off Eliminator? Uh, so I, you know, sadly I, I went with a popular one, but I, I went with it as uh, mainly because I am partial to the rhythm section and sharp dressed man for me had mm. a really solid rhythm, you know, very driving rhythm to it. Um, like the vocals and guitar, I, I felt like top to bottom, it was probably one of their, their best off of this album. Um, and, and of course it, it was one of their popular ones uh, on radio. Um, you know, the, the note I have here, I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I, I have a note here about how I like, that the guitar in this song is, is in a way doing its own singing, you know, the way that Billy mm-hmm. is playing it. And, and that is just something that I kind of gravitated to as I listened to the album a couple of times yesterday, um, was just the way it, you know, as I just said, it's, it's almost like another band member in some, in some ways. So, so that was my favorite was, was sharp dressed man, solid rhythm, 
you know, solid vocals and guitar and, and really just, just the guitar being kind of its own character uh, throughout the song. Nice. Good pick. Good How about pick. you, sir? Uh, my favorite song would be Synchronicity 2. Ah, nice. Nice. And I think part of the reason is that it just rhythmically and sonically, it feels and sounds the most like the police that I'm familiar with from listening. Because I, like I said, I'm, I'm more of a, you know, uh, you know the, the singles and the hits from the police than knowing any kind of uh, whole albums. Mm-hmm. So that one there, I was like, oh, hey, I know this. And it kind of it kind of rhymed with everything I I knew. I yeah. uh, love the driving feel of the intro and that that in in some of the verses they throw in this little bit of halftime. Yeah, but it's very subtle and it and it goes away really quick. Like they don't use it very long. And I'm like, that's such an interesting choice for me. You know, like that you just you drop in like two you know four bars and then you're out of it immediately. And it's not even like a distinct other section. It's it's totally part of the verse. Um, I thought that was great. You know, Stuart Copeland, dude, uh, he's just a mofo. He is so stupidly good. And, but the funny thing is, like, all the stuff that I think of, like, him being on, like, these weird beats and offbeats, like, as far as, like, kick and snare on this song, it is just meat and potatoes straight ahead. Like, there's not a whole lot of, of like, kind of weird stuff. However, his hi-hat and cymbal work is so tasteful and cool and just like that's where all the all the flash is and all those little things and i'm like oh it's so great because you're not sacrificing one iota of energy yeah but you're still working in all these little bits of Stuart copeland business that i love you're just doing it instead of like on a tom or, a, or the snare you're giving it to me on the cymbals and the hi-hat and which i mean he does anyways i mean yeah his, his hi-hat work is freaking amazing and i mean i'm not even a drummer and i'm just like i can't stand this guy because he's so good like like i i already quit playing drums even though i don't play drums like i'm yeah i quit um and of course you know sting (sighs) kind of a love-hate relationship with sting he's one of those guys where i'm like yeah he just seems so smug and pretentious but now that i have played bass and played bass while singing lead Mm-hmm. I have a whole new respect for guys like Sting, for guys like Paul McCartney, like all these guys who play bass and sing lead. Getty Lee. Getty Lee. Yeah, again, uh, Getty Lee's in a whole other freaking category because his voice is just inhuman. Although Sting, too, again, another one of those people who you're like, yeah. that freaking voice. is, and, and that's, again, in the beginning of Synchronicity, too. Like just those those whales kind of at the beginning. It's like, yep, there's Sting. Mm-hmm. There he is. Oh my gosh. Uh, just overall, just a great song. Loved it. And uh, it's, it's kind of one of those songs. I, I'd never even really, I don't think I even knew what this song was called because I'd always heard it on the radio yes. or it'd come on. Like I just, I had no idea what the hell it was called. I'd, I was, and the, funny, yeah, go ahead. and the funny thing is like the, listening to the lyrics, I'm like these, it's so weird that this is my favorite song because I railed against the, the storytelling and the kind of weird fantasiness of like prog rock lyrics i'm like mm-hmm. this is the most prog rock lyrics uh, like on the album i'm like yeah. of course this is the song that i like we're talking about you know the spanish the spanish scottish lock and all i'm like what the okay fine i'll just i'll i'll admit i'll admit my hypocrisy and move on there you go um no what i was just going to say real quick is it, uh, you know when i was listening to this uh last year um i was surprised to to learn that that was the name of the song because i had heard it on the radio and i had just i don't know what i thought the name of it was but um but especially when you compare it to synchronicity one 
um, mm. which, you know, just a little sidebar. So, uh, you know, I'll be brand loyal here. Um, Synchronicity one reminds me a lot of, uh, there was a movie in the late nineties called pirates of Silicon Valley. Uh, and it was all about the rise of Apple and Microsoft and, and their relationship in the eighties and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. and that they use synchronicity in that, in that movie. And that, like when I heard synchronicity in that movie, like it completely, how do I say it? The tone and texture of it, like in my head, like summarized like digital products in the 1980s. You know what I mean? Like hmm. it just had, okay. it, it, does that make sense? You yeah, know, yeah, music sometimes that. makes you think of a time and kind of mm-hmm. like what was going on. Like that totally. does it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so to know that that song was tied to, was, you know, that synchronicity two was the follow on to that and how different it was, was just mm. kind of interesting. <laughs> it was just funny. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I can see that. So, uh, what's your least favorite song off of eliminator? Ah, oh, least favorite. <laughs> sounds like you had to, sounds like there was a battle Royale to determine this one. Well, not really, actually. Okay. What uh, do you got? I need you tonight was my least favorite. Um, yeah. the vocals really got to me. <laughs> I, I, I really was just like, man, you guys, like I listened to this in the car and I had to turn it up to make sure I wasn't like mishearing like, like an off it's like, they sound off key sometimes singing. <laughs> I mean, it just was like really rough to listen to. And, and, mm. you know, I just felt that like that song just had really weak vocals. Um, you know, there was nice rhythm again from the drums and bass and, and there were a lot of guitar solos. I like, I almost felt like this time the solos were making up for the fact that the singing was just, you know, not, I, I don't know. It seemed almost like a distraction to me. So mm. I, I really struggled with that song, but, um, but yeah, I, I need you tonight was, you know, the one I went with for least favorite. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, for me, I had a tie, and I know this is mamby pamby. Tie? Oh, come on I now! I really, I can't. I, 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 I dislike these both equally, you know. Right. Uh, and I'll go with a uh, Miss Gradenko and Tea in the Sahara. Oh wow! I thought you were going to say Mother. <laughs> no, no. I actually, I, it's I actually so had different. To, I had to come up with a whole other category for for that because there was there was a couple songs that I'm like, I don't hate them, I don't love them. Not really a surprise. They're just somewhere in this other category that I they 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 merit like a tiny bit of a mention, you know, but not much. I had to check uh, to Ms. make sure David Byrne of the Talking Heads was not singing Mother because it just seemed like such a Talking Heads kind of song. Oh, I had a whole other idea on that. I'll, but anyway, go 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 ahead, sir. Miss Grudenko, and what was the other one? Uh, T in the Sahara. Okay, yes. So Miss Gradenko to me is just, it's too happy to new wavy pop, you know, like it was just too much because maybe it's just because I knew that the band was like falling apart and I'm like, I don't need a happy song from you. And I know you're like totally faking it. Don't, don't give me a happy song. I know you're not happy. Uh, and then uh, Tia and the Sahara for me, it's, it's a little too moody and it really does. It feels like a, a late eighties, early nineties sting B side, like not oh, even, yeah. not even something that was even contemplated for a hit. It was, it's just filler and we'll put it on the other side of the single and it'll be out there. You got to admit uh, it had a great baseline though to it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's overshadowed just by the, by how just like kind of full of it 
full of itself that it is. Like it feels like a, a fairly pretentious song. Like look at me with these metaphors that I'm conjuring up, and clearly and look Uncle how, Todd like, is in the Stuart Copeland camp. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Me and Stuart are, are buddies. I, it's just like you know, I can just picture the the other guys in the band just being like, whatever, Sting. Just just <laughs> how's the song go? Oh, All right, gosh. fine. Whatever. We need another song. We need to fill up the album. Just let him do it. Just let him do it. Just put it at the end. It's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, and then, of course, I, I did come up with this other category, which I'll I'll briefly mention. I kind of had this wild cards uh, category because these two songs, they're, they're neither least or good enough to be surprising. Uh, so first one is Mother, which to me, you, you mentioned uh, David Byrne uh, from Talking Heads. To me, this sounded like this should be a Tom Waits song. Oh, however, okay. Andy Summer ain't no Tom Waits oh, vocally, no, no. And uh, and there's not enough of the grit to the music to make it actually work. Like it's too clean. Like the police are just they're they're you know the whole idea of like this this band is like they're just they're just too damn good to stop making music. Like until it until it was really just gone. You know, wow. they they just kept on going and making great songs even though they, you know, you have two of the band members at least who hate each other and the third one who's probably just like, "You know what? You guys just I'm just going to be over here in my corner, you know, don't just leave me alone." Yeah. And uh and then the other is Murder by Numbers, which uh, <laughs> The thing is there's, there is, it's, it, it's like this pseudo jazz thing in oh, line with stuff. Van Morrison's moon dance. And so that repulses me right from the jump. Cause I, I just can't stand that, you know, but then Sting's vocal just puts it over, balances that out along with how well they, how well they pull that off the vocal mm-hmm. and then the music. And then also the fact that Sting can sing that and play the bass while singing. Like I found a live version of that from like 83, 84, something like that. And I'm like, okay, fine. I can't say it's horrible because I got to admire that, but it's also, I don't really like it. So I I had to kind of put that in the middle ground. I thought those two merited a kind of a a special, special mention. Uh, One of the notes I have for murder by numbers, which I thought you'd appreciate. Mm. Uh, And this is the beginning part of the song. Sounds like a tune for Spider-Man Noir. Because it has that kind of like noir sort of like you know yeah but feel there's, to there's, it. there's better there's better stuff by actual jazz musicians rather than you oh, know I know I'm just saying yeah yeah you're you're oh my gosh the sting let the sting hate flow through you <laughs> do it <laughs> so uh, what was your surprise off of Eliminator oh okay let's go. Uh... Oh, you're just here. picking this out of thin air now. No, like, oh, no, crap, no, no. I, I had two. I, I had two songs. Oh. Um, so my surprises were, uh, I, and I talked about this one briefly, was TV dinners. Um, mm. Thought it was a, a, you know, lyrically a very funny song to listen to. Um, also felt it had, you know, a great, you know, tone, mood and feel to it. You know, driving rhythm. You know, the guitars were a little more subdued than on other songs, but I thought it was just altogether just kind of a just a surprisingly delightful little song that just kind of made me chuckle. Um, mm. The other one that I picked, which surprised me, was If I Could Only Flag Her Down. Um, yes. Because it had this like great driving blues feel to it. Um, yeah. 
you know, it, it, it was like a lot of songs, um, you know, like I mentioned, uh, there was kind of a similarity in style and, and feel to them. But like I, I literally wrote a note down on this. This would be a great song to play in the environment of, of a blues bar. You know what I mean? Like it just. Oh, yeah. It just had energy and and soul and and just strength to it. And I just, you know, listening to it. You know, I don't come away thinking it was like a favorite, but it was just one that I really enjoyed. And it was and it was a surprise. It was just I didn't expect mm. much from it. And it it pleasantly surprised me. So uh, so I, um, you know, I, I just I, I really enjoyed those two as as just kind of welcome surprises in a album of uh, of otherwise, you know, poppy and kind of, you know, uh, standard ZZ Top uh, fare. Yeah, I would have to go with uh, if I could only flag her down and I got the six. Nice. Because I'm a sucker for dusty lead vocal songs. Um, nice. I, I just I, I I really enjoy it when he gets a chance to sing. Uh, of course, he was the he did the lead vocal on their hit Tush. Oh, okay. So I mean, he had the higher kind of higher reg. He had the higher register vo- voice, and uh, it was just great to see. You know, good to, good to see the bass player get a little love every so often. You know, nice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Um, so, oh, uh, should, should I have given mine for the police? I, I can do it at the end, but you know, like my favorite um, or least favorite or surprises. I, I didn't uh, no, I mean, I've just been kind of chirping in here and there. Oh, I mean, you can, right. if you'd like, but, uh, uh, my surprise off synchronicity was, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> because I thought it was, it's Good just one. kind of a fun, fun feeling song, you know, There's like a saxophone in it, <laughs> which sting played. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, and sir. I'm just like, you know what? Whatever. I'm already feeling inadequate. You know, the, the, the tall. Now, now I get to the root Gordon of the Sumner. hatred. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a bass playing extraordinaire and I also write great songs and I arrange them. And oh, hello, my, Uncle Todd. We, oui, we, oui, I shall play the saxophone for you. <laughs> my English estate and, you know, very proper English. French, but it seemed to make I know. Sense. I was going to say he's not French, dude. I know, but it just, it brings the arrogance it's, out, you know? I'm pretty sure that the only time you're going to find someone named Gordon who's French, they're French Canadian. I don't think there's any, you know, people in France who are. I'm the word fisherman oh. will follow behind it. <laughs> Gordon Fisherman. Gorton. That's Gorton. Oh. Come on now. Okay, Willem Dafoe. Thank you for uh, keeping me in line. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to keep you on your toes, sir. That's all I'm doing. All right. All right. All right. So, uh, do we want to go with, do you want to give out your, yours for synchronicity or do you want to just head on down to uh, recommendation time? Uh, just real cool. Well, well, to be honest, I had a really difficult time picking like one favorite or one surprise, you know, from this album, there was a lot of stuff I really enjoyed. Um, I've already talked at length about it. Every breath you take was, was my favorite. I, I know it's the most popular song, but it, it, it is one that I just cannot stop listening to. Like, like I just, I, you know, I have this kind of eighties playlist and whenever it comes on, it's like one of the songs I just kind of lock into. So I enjoy that. Um, least favorite for me, I agree with you was, was Miss Grudenko. Um, just mm. kind of felt, um, you know, I, I liked it. it. It wasn't that it was awful to me, but at the same time, it just, you know, of all the songs on the album, that one was probably the one that if I had to cut, that would be the one I would cut. Um, uh, not, not, not because of any sort of hatred toward, uh, toward Mr. Sting, but, uh, just that, uh, you know, it, it did have kind of a style to it that was interesting, but it, you don't have to say Mr. He's never going to be a guest on the show. It's okay. Well, I, I, I figure, uh, you know, respect is due. Um, 
Okay. Well, well that 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 and you that and you hold a grudge against him. But anyways, mm. um, uh, and then for my surprise, um, it, it really ranged across the album. There was like four songs I could have put as a surprise. Walking in your footsteps was fantastic. We talked about mother. Mm. Um, I actually had tea in the Sahara and murder by numbers as 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 a couple uh, surprises as well. Um, Say what? So yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, compared to the start of the album, when you get down to T, you know, in the Sahara and murder by numbers, it just, it's like a totally different style from what you hear, you know, with synchronicity one. So that, that is why I called it a surprise. It was a bit, you know, unexpected to have that sort of jazzy, you know, kind of late eighties, early nineties sting already on the album. So, but uh, kind of ahead of his time, if you will. True, 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 true. All right, so on a scale of one to five, yes, sir. would you recommend Eliminator to a friend? Uh, I think I would have to go probably a three. Whoa. Dang, okay. Probably a three. Let's hear the, let's hear the I, reasoning well, for this. Uh, what's that? All right, I'm just curious what the reasoning is. Oh, oh what the reasoning is. Uh, yeah, I, I'm probably going to... I mean, I guess I could be talked up to a four. Um, I'm not trying to talk you into anything. I'm not trying to sell you a car here. I'm just trying to. F- I just wanted to hear what your uh, your reasoning for putting it right in the middle was. Well, it's not that it's a bad album. Um, you know, for me, it's it's driving music, and that's probably about what I would listen to it for. I wouldn't listen to it for a workout. I wouldn't listen to it while I'm working, or if I'm on my bike or anything like that. It, it just. Uh, it's kind of driving music and you know i i kind of feel like uh uh there's you know a number of good songs on it it's got a lot of good energy to it but um but it's kind of middle of the road for me you know so and and part of it just may be like my my kind of you know the kind of music that that i'm into so um you know i can't go one or two on it i don't think it's a bad album um i just it also didn't blow me away either so i kind of go in the middle with it if that makes sense Right on. Fair enough. Fair enough, sir. And you, sir, what is your uh, rating? I will go with a four. Okay. For uh, synchronicity, uh, mostly because I I feel like, I mean, when a band only has five studio albums, you know, it's not like ZZ Top. ZZ Top has, I mean, God, I can't even imagine. I I can't remember how many studio albums they have. Double digits. Um, Yeah. I mean, easily easily double digit double digits um and and they're all you know good to some degree i mean they they did what they did very well mm-hmm. um when it's a when it's a band that only has five albums and really only had i mean well like an, i think it was like an, they said like a nine year run really i think if you if you include kind of up to 86 when they really officially were like we're done um you kind of have to listen to all of it you really mm-hmm. have to dive into that you know and as a as a as a final album, you know, uh, not being a planned final album, to have a, a song that is the most li- the most played song on radio in history, mm-hmm. along with three other really good singles, and then a lot of other songs. That, I mean, there's none on there that I'm like, oh my gosh, this one sucks. I mean, personally, I don't yeah. really like it, but I mean, it's not like it's a horrible song. Um, I think you kind of have to recommend that highly, you know, yeah. it, it, and it, it, it is a good album. It stands up. It, it's a lot of interesting stuff on there. And as far as like 
the last song, the last album that a, a band has put out before breaking up. It's a damn fine entry. I mean, one of the strongest really. Yeah. Um, and it, and kind of, they, they knew where this was heading, uh, you know, the police of course, playing live aid and then base and, and actually physically handing their instruments to you too, you know, as, as a token of, Hey, we're the biggest band in the world. And now you're going to be, because mm-hmm. you too is very much in that upward trajectory. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it kind of, that's what it felt like. And of course the, again, the thing is this is a band that, damn, they just, they're, they're so good together. They just, they can't not be good. Mm-hmm. And you can see that from the videos from their reunion tour where you, you just see them playing and you're like, oh my gosh, didn't lose a step, not a single step. Like they've yeah. been playing every weekend ever since. Yeah. And yet you still, you could still see Stuart Copeland looking at Sting like, I'm going to throw a drumstick at you if you look at me again. I swear to God. Right between the crackio. <laughs> oh yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, I'd reckon I'd give it a solid four. I'd nice. give it a solid four. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you for your recommendation. It was, it was uh, a fine walk down the, the eighties, uh, memory Boulevard and, uh, enjoyed it immensely. Well, you're welcome. At least as far as the three will take you. <laughs> and another thing. So, uh, what do you got for, and another thing? Yes. So my and another thing, um, the missus and I have been watching on HBO now. Uh, so we're, you know, keep, keeping loyal to my brand of watching shows long after they've aired and were popular, uh, <laughs> watching the John Adams, uh, miniseries that aired. Oh, uh, wow. You're right on the cutting edge. You're on the bleeding edge there, <laughs> sir. It's like 15 years old now, isn't it? 2008, baby. Jeez. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Next thing you're going to be like, hey, you know what? I just saw this really great movie. Yeah, what is it? The Blair Witch Project. You ever heard of it? All right. There's this little indie flick. It's called Jurassic Park. <laughs> you, ever see, you ever heard of this movie called Pulp Fiction? Good. Check it out. It's amazing. The kids are talking about it. <laughs> Who would have guessed it? Vinny Barbarino had turned out that well. <laughs> I think that right, Sam, I think that Sam Jackson guy's got a career. <laughs> he could be somebody, you know, if he if he keeps working at it. I think oh he's going gosh. places. <laughs> so yes, we started watching it. Um, we're about I think uh, three quarters of the way through. Uh, it stars Paul Giamatti as John Adams, Laura Linney, uh, Stephen Delane, David Morse, Tom Wilkinson, uh, and and a cat. Just just a loaded cast all around. Um, from what I understand, you know, the show did, did a lot, you know, a lot of, uh, buco with the award shows, uh, four golden globes, 13 Emmy awards. Uh, it's a seven part, uh, mini series. And, uh, I think, yeah, we're on part six. We're about to watch part six. Um, really well done, well acted. And, and, you know, most interesting, I, you know, I'm not a real history buff, but I, I remember, <laughs> I do remember some things from my, my education and, uh, you know, John Adams was was a president I was aware of, but didn't really have a lot of depth in terms of his contributions to the formation of the country uh, mm. and uh, to to the formation of the you know kind of political system that, that that took off from there. So it's it was very interesting to kind of see that played out again in, in, a, in a drama. Uh, not, not this is not historical uh fiction if you or, or historical uh, retelling uh verbatim but it is uh 
It is uh, a, a, a well-done drama. The acting is phenomenal. Um, really like how uh, there's a focus on, you know, the, the impact that, that John Adams' wife uh, had on him, you know, kind of being, you know, his editor of sorts of uh, when he was a lawyer of, of his briefs and, um, you know, kind of helping him along the way and, and being kind of his foundation and his rock. Um, mm. which I, which I thought was really interesting for the series to kind of show, you know, like, like you don't normally see that you see it as all as, you know, Oh, here, here, here is the man and here is all, here he is in all of his glory and strength and so forth. And this one really mm-hmm. kind of humanizes him and shows how close he was, how, how difficult it was for him to be away from her and, and how much of, of a, of a, you know, foundational point she was for him. So, um, mm. So that that's been really interesting to see, as as well as just understanding some of the relationships, you know, and seeing, uh, you know, the the character of Ben Franklin is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I have kind of one perception of that again from schooling, and you know, to kind of watch a drama show, Ben Franklin be kind of this political player in in, in some ways was kind of interesting. You know, I mean, not not in a bad way, but just in a way of saying, you know. Franklin was intelligent and he, he knew how to play the game, you know, as well as a player, player as well. A triple H phrase, you know? So, (laughs) um, but yeah, so I, I would highly recommend it if you haven't seen it, it, it is 15 or or 14 years old. Five of you out there who also live in a cave. Uh, (laughs) Gosh, come on, man. Oh, I did watch Although, Don't Look Up on Netflix. That was pretty good. But anyway. Oh, wow. Something something recent. So, something you. recent and popular. I am turning a corner, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Uh, so again, John Adams that could, on- That could not have been your idea. That must have been your wife or, or your, one of your sons. It was. Okay. Yes. It, credit where credit is due. Uh, and uh, Hey, honey, why don't we watch this movie? Uh, it's, uh, it looks kind of good. It's called War Games. You ever heard of it? <laughs> that Broderick kid's got a future. <laughs> Now, what I what I think is funny is is <laughs> not funny, but what's what's really good. And I agree, John Adams, great show. Uh, if you're if you're interested, the the biography that it is based on by mm. David McCullough is excellent, mm. absolutely excellent, and okay. it really got me back into reading biographies. Uh, John Adams is such a fascinating character because he he is even to his friends, his friends would probably have described him as prickly. Uh, mm-hmm. And his his opponents would have just taken the ly off of that, and it would have worked just as well. And um, <laughs> yes, yes, because he was just he was not was such an interesting character, and yeah. and and such an interesting time because you have him smack dab in between the the presidency of of George Washington, mm-hmm. uh, who one of the when they were still trying to figure out what do we call the president or what do we call this person this chief executive what do we call them and one one of the ideas was his excellency mm-hmm. you know yep. and of, and for george washington it totally would have fit that would have gone away real quick had it been john adams following that up and they had to call him his excellency john adams that would well, that would have gone away real quick. Like we know, we got to find something else. It would have been his royal jerkness, John yeah. Adams. Yeah, you know. And then, and, of course, then Thomas Jefferson coming after him, and right. so he's in this very weird point where it's like you know Washington and Jefferson are really revered, and John Adams is kind of there, which is kind of his entire political career as well. Like he's there, he's he's important, but at the same time, like 
he's such a jerk sometimes it's really hard to root for him yeah yeah that that episode i think it was part five when when it starts off i mean and and this is the thing with with the series they they do such a great job in terms of shooting it as well like like just the shots Mm -hmm. of the characters in him i mean they make him look very petty you know when he's talking about like whereas when you start off the series and he's arguing on behalf of of the british soldiers who were involved in the boston massacre Mm. that he you know he he his skill of oratory is at its you know is is at the top of its game you know i mean he is just mm-hmm. so well spoken and and you know passionate in his arguments and then you get to that episode and he's talking about like what the president should be called and it was just like what the heck happened to you man um yeah the the yeah. other one is the third episode when he goes to europe as an ambassador and you like, like I loved how they made that. So that whole episode uncomfortable, like it was uncomfortable in the way they filmed it. It was uncomfortable in the way that he was conducting himself. And I think that was the point because he was so out of his element when he was oh, over. Yeah. And, and yeah. the fact that they did that in terms of filming and the storytelling and the dialogue, and it's just like everything about this, just, I, I was literally like cringing, you know, for him as I'm watching this, like, oh my gosh, this is awful. And, you know, you just see Ben nope. Franklin, like, I got to get this guy out of here. <laughs> oh yeah. And and the other thing is, it really is the the love story between him and Abigail oh, is yeah. amazing oh, yeah. when you consider yep. how much of their marriage they spent separated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. But then again, it might also be uh, be the reason why they could stay married. Because I mean, if you had to live under the same roof as John Adams, <laughs> God his butt be out in the barn real quick. <laughs> you know, I mean, my goodness. But it, but it's, it's remarkable. You know, and then and I think he he spent so much time in Europe throughout all that time. I think one of one of his quotes was that you know he figured that he I forget how he said it. He said, I believe that before I, when I die, before I am able to pass into, into heaven, I will have to go and get another loan from the Dutch <laughs> because that was one of his roles. Like he had to keep going back to, to Europe to get loans yep. for the Americans during the revolutionary war. And yeah. that was his joke. Like before God lets me into heaven, I'm going to have to go get another damn loan yep. from some country for the cause, yep. Yep. which, you know, I'm sure at the time felt, yeah, that's probably how it's going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Very good. Excellent choice, sir. Excellent choice. And what about you, sir? Well, I went with something a little more recent. Uh, it was made in the last couple of years, at least. Um, and it's a, it's a movie uh, documentary actually on Netflix called Count Me In. And it is all about uh, drummers, which is fascinating to me because again, I am, I am not a drummer. I actually have played drums on stage in front of people once. Really, and I I will tell you right now, it was one of the most terrifying things I have ever done. I've been playing music in front of people since I was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. You know, starting to do like recitals and 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 concert band and all that stuff. Stood up, did solos, all of that. That was te- I thought I was I thought my heart was going to pound out my chest yeah. because I just it's one of those things where you're like I know. I am not prepared. Like I know there's no amount of preparation for this because I am not capable of doing this the way it ought to be done. Like Mm. all four limbs have got to be moving in different directions at different times. And the best I can do, the best I can do is three out of four, Mm -hmm. which ain't good enough. (laughs) Yeah. 
because yeah. you know you're missing something. Oh yeah. And uh, so is, but it's fascinating for me because I've played in bands, and you you, it's tough to be in a band and not have an opinion about the drums because they're there, and no matter what you do, you're going to hear them yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that's just the way it works. Um, so this talks about uh, a, a lot of kind of modern drummers and their take on uh, drummers and rhythm and all that. And, and so you go through, a, they had the drummer, I'm going to be really bad on some of these names. They had drummer for um, uh, Jane's Addiction. They had the drummer uh, for uh, Lenny Kravitz and uh, also Santana, which her name is, gosh, it's, it's Blackman Santana. Is her la- is like her last names, and I I'm forgetting her first name, and I'm feeling horrible about it. And then they have a couple of other drummers who are who are younger, who are not at least to me as well known. Then they of course they had Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The one that I was really surprised that they didn't manage to get Dave Grohl into this because Dave Grohl's in like every music documentary yeah. ever in the past ten years, and apparently he managed to miss this one. Which I'm, but they did have Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters. Uh, and, and they go back and they talk about the holy trinity of classic rock drummers, of course, Keith Moon, John Bonham, and Ginger Baker, and, and their influence. But then they also had the, the drummer from Iron Maiden, who, Iron Maiden, not exactly, you know, pop music. Yeah. But he's talking about when he when he was growing up and listening to jazz drummers and like the drummer from from the, the Dave Brubeck tri- uh, group and all that and 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 learning to play and and, and that whole thing. And it's like it is so amazing just listening to how these people took in influences and then, and then take it further. And then at the very end, they have, you know, a bunch of them playing in a room and Stuart Copeland is in the, is in there because of course you got to have Stuart Copeland and and he drops a couple F bombs and it's glorious. And um, (laughs) the whole thing is just, it's great. It's like an hour and a half. It's, it's not going to, it's not a huge commitment to your life. And it's really fun. Even if you don't play drums, it is just fascinating because you understand how, integral that is to music and and what that means and the uh you know talking about just specific songs and specific techniques and 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 studying those things and like uh, the the drummer I can't remember his name but the guy who's uh, the James Addiction drummer and he's talking about the song Who Are You by The Who and talking about what Keith Moon did there and he's playing it and you can tell this is a song that he has studied and that he plays often and that it's a challenge for him. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, not quite it. No, you're not. No, you're, you're a little too hard on the hi-hat. You know, yeah, and I'm, I'm, yeah. it's like, I don't even know this song that well. But you can tell that like this is something that this guy's worked on for years and he still doesn't have it the way Keith Moon had it when the song was recorded. You know, and it's just it's mind blowing how deep you can go into these things. But it's a it's a it's a really fun documentary. Again, even if you're not a drummer and you just you're really into finding out, like, how do you construct music and what drives it? Great watch. Great watch. Highly recommend. Nice. Very cool. I'm, I will check that out. In about 10 years. <laughs> well, I have a mighty backlog of other content to get through. <laughs> Guess the hell you do. Just getting around to John Adams. AFI I top five hundred. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of stuff on VHS just waiting for me. Oh yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a hoot and a half, but members of the Free Range NDC congregation, it is time for us to draw this meeting to a close. Thank you so much for listening. We so appreciate you all tuning in and, and listening and joining the Free Range NDC congregation as we read from the holy scriptures of idiocy, because mm. that is the key. We believe 
in redemption through the power of idiocy. Because quite honestly, it's our only chance. And when I say R, it's me and Tim. Uh, Y'all might be good. This is it for us. This is all we got. This is all we're going to cling to, which means we're screwed. So thank you for tuning in. And if you want to subscribe, well, why wouldn't you want to subscribe? Go to uh, freerangeadc.com. You can find all of our episodes there. And you can also subscribe right there through Podbean. However, you can also find us on the podcast purveyor of your choice. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on iHeartRadio, Spotify. We are on Google Podcasts and many others. Go ahead and search for Free Range EDC. There ain't a whole lot of people else out there who are advertising themselves as idiots. We do it because, well, it's the only gimmick we got. So, uh, and after that, what you want to do is you want to go and subscribe to us on, you want to follow us on the social medias, not subscribe. You want to follow us. You want to become our friend. Who? Actually, that's not even Where? a thing anymore. How? You can't even become friends on social media. So you got to follow. It's all about, ooh, who's following me? I don't, I don't want anyone to follow me. That's creepy. Follow that's Uncle a, Todd. A, he, he, he posts great tweets about, you know, Brady and, and Matthew Stafford today. So ooh, that, that one didn't age well. That <laughs> did not age well. Um, but, uh, you know, the, you know, it's a little, little bit of every breath you take, you know, follow us, but not in a creepy way. Uh, you can find us on the social medias. We're on the Facebook. We're on the Instagram. We're on the Twitter. All of those are at Free Range EDC. And you know what? If you got questions, you got thoughts, you got concerns, you especially if you got complaints, Complaints. Good Lord, send all those to Tim at FreeRangeEDC.com and he mm. will get back to you. PDQ forthwith, if not sooner. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we come to that blessed part of the show where I stop flapping my gums and I hand this over to the man they call Tim to take us home. But before that, I need to kick this thing off by asking the second most important question humankind has ever asked itself. First, of course, being what is hip. The second, of course, being what the hell did we learn this time? Uh, we have learned the following, my friend. Uh, we have learned uh, from our round of Star Wars Red 5, contest is on the up and up, and the man they call Tim is up by three. Book of Boba Fett. Folks, be patient. There is a story being told, and it's going to be a good one. So just hold on tight, buckle up your, your, your safety harness in the uh, fire spray gunship, and uh, just be ready because I think they're taking us to some very, very interesting storytelling in the next few episodes. Mm. Moon Knight, embrace the chaos. Oh, this is going to be so absolutely insane. It's going to be great. <laughs> embrace the chaos. <laughs> oh, nope. And then our album one-on-one, hopefully you, you will... Uh, you have learned from this this last hour of, of banter that we've had that uh, the police synchronicities, Easy Top Illuminator, both products of the early '80s and phenomenal music, uh, great stuff. Uh, whether you like blues, whether you like a little bit of the new wave, or or hey, if you're into the whole uh, late '80s, early '90s sting, it's all there. Uh, mm. But do do check it out. Uh, two two quality bands with with a, a you know with a good catalog. Uh, ZZ Top a little bit deeper than than the Police. <laughs> Give just it, a bit, just a little bit. But uh, but do check them out. And uh, we also learned uh, the man they call Tim uh, has a deep backlog of content he's still working through. So we we think he'll he'll be uh, catching up on the hits from 2005, probably in the next uh, decade or so. With all that being said, uh, we thank just wait you. until he catches that Titanic movie. It's going to blow his <laughs> mind. <you know? laughs> that DiCaprio kid's got a future. <laughs> he's going places, I tell you. Oh my goodness. 
All right. Well, with all that being said, we, we do thank you again. We, we did cross a threshold this last week. 2,500 plus downloads. We do appreciate it. Thank oh, my again. gosh. Thank goodness for people with no taste. That's oh. all I can say. Thank you. Thank you, every you last have, one of you. Ladies and gentlemen, you... Uncle Todd means well. You you have you have good taste. It's just uh, different tastes. So. It's questionable. It's suspect. <laughs> but God bless you, anyways. Oh, indeed, indeed. Uh, so as we we uh, oh, as we round this up, as we wrap this up, uh, and we like to close. Where are you out, heading with this? I don't know. Be safe. Be healthy. Be kind. Be good to one another. And uh, you know, uh, as we always like to say. Hit the lights on. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? You are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. (laughs) Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. What the hell was that? Well... I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your Huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Patrick, I'm telling you right now. What'd he do? He's been awfully don't quiet. Don't do it. Don't do it. I, I'm telling you right now, man. I I'm ain't going to happen. What's he doing? Go sort the mail or something. All right, I'm finishing up. The rec- I'm recording. Why do you think I got headphones on right now? I'm recording. Go in there. Was he trying to play a drum set? No. So here's the deal. Like I, I never should have mentioned the whole honky tonk man pomade thing because, <laughs> gosh, after he after he tried to order me a pomeranian and realized I didn't have like but like three dollars worth of clearance on my credit card, he he came in the next day and he spent a good two three days like doing deep research on honky tonk man, which was great because quite honestly, it kept him out of my hair. (laughs) Problem is day four honky tonk man sequin jumpsuit showed up. Oh dear. And he's been, he's been walking around here in his, (laughs) in his white boots with the, with the whole sequin jumpsuit. And he, he found the pomade. Oh my gosh. But day six, Mm -hmm. He ordered himself a guitar. Oh, dear. So now he thinks he's going to go around. He's going to bust me on the head, pull like a little <laughs> double J honky tonk man thing. El Kabong. I was going to say El Kabong, right? <laughs> and I keep trying to tell him. Oh, dear. That's not going to go well for him. But no, he not. keeps trying. So I've, I've got like this thing where I, I have to keep one eye peeled at all times. I was going to say, how did you get through the show without him wh- whacking you there? I'm t- I've. Luckily, I gave him an assignment and it kept him busy, but now he's on the prowl and I keep waiting for him. (laughs) Oh, every breath you take, brother. (laughs) Every move you make. Now get the hell out of here!